A continuing discussion about mental wellness in our aviation community, in light of a recent incident that brought even greater attention to these important issues. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan, brought to you by Varion, formerly ATP. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for the very latest business aviation news and information. Today, we'll continue our flight plan discussion on the topic of mental wellness in the aviation community, and especially among pilots. As we started this conversation last week, news came to light of an October 22nd incident aboard a regional airliner flying to San Francisco from Payne Field, north of Seattle. That flight diverted to Portland, Oregon, after a mainline captain who was commuting in the jump seat apparently tried to engage the fire bottles and shut down the aircraft's engines in flight. Fortunately, he wasn't successful. And before the ordeal, he reportedly said three very telling words, I'm not okay. I'd like to welcome back now Mark Larson, NBAA's Director of Safety and Flight Operations. Mark, what do we know so far about this incident as we're talking at the end of October? And what does this highlight about the significance of mental wellness in the pilot community? It's been widely reported that an off-duty airline pilot had interfered with the flight deck, and that resulted in the flight's diversion to an alternate airport, and security procedures had to be followed in the process of getting that aircraft on the ground. Investigators interviewed that off-duty pilot, and he indicated a concern of mental illness, also had noted he'd been awake for 40 hours and had taken psychedelic mushrooms 48 hours prior to the incident. Without getting into the, the merits of this you know, pilot's medication choice, it, it is you know, really part of a larger industry concern of pilots self-medicating for their mental health issues. The current FA policies are, are not great on this uh, case, but they do permit the use of five antidepressant medications. However, the six-month timeline requiring a stable dose, you know, succession of symptoms, the associated costs of testing, the timelines associated with the FAA's review of all of the paperwork, and, and ultimately the cumulative livelihood implications of what amounts to years out of the flight deck to pursue this path are identified barriers to mental health treatment in the pilot community. I would note from conversations I've had with a number of mental health experts that a combination of talk therapy and antidepressant medications often an effective and necessary strategy for treating some individuals' mental health concerns. You mentioned there are five medications approved by the FAA for the treatment of depression and anxiety, and I'm going to use brand names here. Those are Prozac, Zoloft, Celexa, Lexapro, and two slow-release versions of Welbutrin. The FAA stipulates each of those can only be used individually, not combined. And since all those medications build up in your system over time to lessen symptoms, they also require a minimum of six months for pilots to be grounded and show they're responding to those medications. As you said, Mark, it's perhaps understandable how that process and the timeframes involved might push pilots to seek alternatives. To put this in context, I found a pre-pandemic study by the Centers for Disease Control uh, back in 2018. It noted an average of 13.4% of adults are on an antidepressant medication at a given time. That number is lower among men at 8.4% and higher among women at over 17%. When I've talked with the FAA about this, recent FAA data indicate a little over 500 pilots have been approved to take these uh, accepted antidepressant medications out of the over 400,000 pilots nationwide roughly one-tenth of one percent of that pilot population. 
that's a hell of a disparity and very disquieting. To me, this identifies a treatment gap when considering that rates of mental illness are consistent between the pilot population and the broader adult population. As I think about ways we can evolve the safety culture of our industry to one where we treat mental health issues early, we're seeking that, we want to capture these problems while they're relatively small and less complex, that does make it easier for the FAA to ultimately approve them. I think this is an area where that opportunity for FAA policy improvement exists, just as any operator with a safety management system would review its policies where they had a concern of non-compliance with those policies and procedures in place. So hoping there's an opportunity to continue to work with the FAA to find a path that makes acceptable medications easier to use while absolutely ensuring flight safety as well. Something to think about as we continue our panel discussion following this word from our sponsor. Take your aviation operations to new heights. Introducing Varion, formerly known as ATP, your ultimate partner in achieving maximum aircraft uptime. At Varion, we understand the challenges faced by everyone in aviation. Our industry-leading technology solutions revolutionize aircraft management, so there's no more waiting, no more wondering, and no more wasted effort. Get real-time visibility of your maintenance, inventory, operations, and regulatory data right at your fingertips with an easy-to-use system. Backed by a team of experts with deep aviation knowledge offering 24-7, 365 support. After 50 years in the business, we have built a growing reputation for getting our customers more aircraft uptime. That's why thousands of aircraft operators worldwide have already discovered the power of Varion. Say goodbye to downtime and hello to increased efficiency and profitability. Visit Varion.com to learn more. Varion, let's get you more uptime. We're back now with NBAA's Mark Larson and this continued conversation about mental wellness concerns in business aviation. Also joining us now are Lee Rafalco, chair of the Fitness for Duty Working Group of the NBAA Safety Committee, and Drs. Greg Vanichkachorn and Clayton Cole, both aeromedical experts from the Mayo Clinic. Clay, building on what Mark just said in our conversation last week, I think it's fair to say that many of us look at mental health concerns like we might any other obstacle we face in our careers, as a problem to be solved. But these are conditions that need to be addressed and often don't have easy or timely solutions. So probably the most important question we could ask here, from your perspective, not only with Mayo, but also as an AME, what can pilots do to ensure they not only receive proper treatment, but that their individual case also receives appropriate attention and action? That's an excellent question. And I would say probably the the top three things would be, number one, be prepared. Just like if you're preparing for a flight, look at obtaining your records. And there's a certain amount of inertia that it takes to get through that process of obtaining appropriate records, organizing your visit. So if you're not going to a center that will pre-schedule all the visits for you to be able to have your own checklist of appointments in particular that you need to touch base with and and just like you do a checklist for a pre-flight, same thing for on the medical, making sure that you have all of that in hand by the time you show up at the examiner's office. The second is to be responsive. If you have the opportunity to visit with an AME and they say, look, we need to get this, this, and this done, get on the phone and get it scheduled if that examiner isn't necessarily going to do it for you. Use resources that are available out there, such as uh, centers that are 
used to dealing with the complex pilot or organizations that offer services to pilots to help with the complex exam. And then finally, it's finding an aviation medical examiner that you really trust, that you can open up to them. It's sort of that confessional booth moment where you need to let down the proverbial hair and say, hey, here's what's going on. How do I best report this without feeling that anything that you do report is going to be held against you and extend the time that you get a medical or prevent you from getting a medical entirely? And in fact, most of the time, that isn't the case. The workup to it is probably the angst or the fear is is a lot more than once you actually deal with it, especially with an experienced aviation medical examiner. It's usually a non-event for a lot of the stuff as long as it's handled appropriately up front. And I don't know if my colleague might have other thoughts as well. Yeah, those are all great points. Uh, I would just reiterate that having a place where you can get everything done all together is is really helpful. Because otherwise, if you you know are going to a specialist in one location, then going to another specialist in a different health system, you know that's just a, another set of medical records that you have to obtain and get access to. And really, one of the hardest problems with getting a special issuance processed quickly is managing all of the information flow. And so having a place with just some sort of centralized group or an academic medical center that can address all of the needs all at once together and share the same information, that I have found to be very, very helpful uh, in getting the medical side cleared up. Great points, Greg. Lee, this also goes back to fitness for duty and being able to recognize when something just isn't right and needs to be addressed. You led a panel on this subject at the National Safety Forum at NBAA Base. What steps did those experts recommend for pilots to make sure that their conditions are addressed in a timely manner and hopefully resolved to get back on the flight deck safely? From the flight operations point of view, we had two panelists who were directors of aviation for large and small companies. And one of the factors with having the courage to go forward and actually seek the treatment that you need is taking as much of the unnecessary stressors off of your plate so that you can focus on the task at hand. And we're very task-oriented. We want to complete the mission. And when we're, uh, we're putting undue stress on ourselves to try and meet employer expectations that you know maybe th- those are kind of created on our own or we're imagining some of that. And so having a good dialogue with your employer, the chief pilot or director of aviation, you know, whoever it is you're working with to talk about these kind of things and what plan you will have when a medical issue arises, you know, doesn't need to be mental health, but any medical issue that is going to perhaps take you off of the flight line, how will your company react to that? A couple of the things we talked through are um, as best as you can be, given the staffing issues we've all had, make sure that you do have staff that can lean on one another. Sometimes these can be very brief, transient issues, a loss of a loved one, bereavement loss, that it comes up unexpected, but those things are absolutely going to happen. And having a plan for how you're going to maintain operations takes away a lot of that stress of trying to force yourself into something that you really shouldn't. Mark? A few things come to mind, Rob. I think first, you know, it's know yourself and, and it's okay to not be okay if, if that's where you find yourself. 
for the fellow pilots there, you know, be willing to lend an ear and, and be that first level of support for somebody that may be having a rough period of time in their life. And from there, understanding where there are the resources to be able to help bridge that gap, being a key piece that helps our industry move everything forward. And then, you know, as you think about, again, having your team, I, I really echo the comments that we heard from others on this, this call that, you know, having the right folks to go to that can help bring it all together that you can trust and, and have that confessional moment if you need to say, this is really what's going on. And what do we do to move forward safely? That's a key piece in all of this. And that goes back to something else we discussed in part one of this podcast, the importance of building your team to help you navigate through this process. If you go look at the AME guide and you have a pilot that is on one of the uh, acceptable uh, antidepressant medications from the FAA, you're going to need to use a HIMSS, a Human Intervention Motivation Study, AME, with the FAA. And so that's one of those things that you're going to have to understand in building the right folks on your team as well, too, relative to the situation that you have at hand. The HIMSS AMEs are responsible for addressing the you know the drug and alcohol abuse and dependence situations for the FA and, and certifying those pilots when it comes to the the protocol for antidepressant use uh, with the FA that's currently where that stands those hims AMEs are, are much fewer and and further in between as we kind of discussed in that conversation as well too and so that's it's also worth considering the time and everything else to make those appointments travel you know, consider that in your own schedule as well, too. That can be a complicating factor for some of these mental health conditions. In addition to your AME team, among those folks are also HIMS psychiatrists as well. When we use the term HIMS, Human Intervention Motivation Study, this was a study done in the 70s looking at pilots with substance abuse. Uh, however, the FAA has worked with pilot unions and that to provide training for AMEs specific to that. And because of the fact that that specialized training was provided for substance abuse or dependence, they elected to have AMEs that were trained as HIMS AMEs to also handle those with other mental health related things such as use of antidepressants, namely the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors that are allowed under special issuance for treatment of depression. And with those evaluations come the need to see a HIMSS-trained psychiatrist as well because of the fact that they are able to place in a report exactly what the FAA is looking for in terms of articulating records reviewed and listing any aeromedical concerns or not for those evaluations. So sometimes taking an investment mentality and in going to a place that is used to dealing with complex cases. I know we jokingly say here, it's like the uh, island of misfit toys for pilots, you know, guys with two heads and cancer that want to have a medical certificate. We actually invite and encourage those pilots and get them on a stable trajectory to get their special issuance authorization. And that's, you know, that's part of our jobs and what we do. And I, there are a number of centers around the country and organizations around the country that do help pilots in that regard. And so you should, as a pilot, take advantage of those resources out there for you. It's really important for pilots to also self-advocate after they have sent everything over to the FAA. 
And the FAA is a huge organization and they are improving as we have talked about, but sometimes things still slip through the cracks. And I've had pilots been able to raise awareness about how long they've been waiting and the FAA is able to sort of put a fire underneath that file and uh, get things processed. So I always recommend that pilots continue to check in with their AMEs. That's why having that AME relationship is really important. Uh, that their AMEs also check in with the FAA and then the pilot calls them themselves just routinely, you know, maybe every two weeks or so to see how things are progressing. Lee, your thoughts? Yeah, I just want to say that the fact that we're having these conversations right now is uh, is an indication that things are going the right direction. And, you know, progress doesn't happen as kind of quickly as anybody would want it to on these things. But to just take a step back and look at where we've come over just the past 10 years in this, it's a very encouraging sign that you know, people are beginning to get the uh, help that they need and uh, employers and pilots alike are starting to take a serious look at this. Mental wellness and other aeromedical concerns are a top priority for NBAA as an association, and in particular on the NBAA Safety Committee. We'll continue to spotlight new developments and NBAA's ongoing advocacy in these areas, and continue the conversation that is so important to maintain on these matters. Be sure to also check out NBAA's Medical Issues Resource at nbaa.org forward slash medical for information about mental wellness and a variety of other conditions and concerns. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device. Of course, you can also download Flight Plan directly from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan. Oh, we got him inside. We're slowing back to 170.